0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Home Matters Podcast. We are the Whiteman-Brock Real Estate Advisors team. Randy Brock, Ron and Lynn Whiteman, and Ethan Kasky. And today, we are just going to jump right into visiting with our guest. Our guest is Dan. And Dan, help me out with your last name too. It's Fifield. Fifield. Yes. Dan Fifield. And just let's jump in. Tell us about yourself, who you are, what you do, why we're talking with you today.
1: Well, I'm Dan Fifield. I am a retired ER nurse uh, and the co-founder of The Landing MN, which is a 501c3 nonprofit in Rochester, Minnesota, that works with those folks that are experiencing homelessness. Um, Lived in Rochester for 12 years now, Uh, met my wife, Holly, um, playing Farkle on Facebook. I beat her two games, sent her a friend request. She wouldn't talk to me for a couple of months. (laughs) finally decided she was going to talk to me, and uh, the rest is, as we call it, history. God put us together playing some silly random game and that's uh, fantastic here we are here we are now I moved up here from Kansas City after her youngest daughter Sarah graduated from high school and um, thought I would retire as a as a ER nurse up here and uh, God had different plans for me so
0: so talking about your family really briefly there too you just your daughter just graduated too just right? Is this the well, same daughter
1: you just mentioned yep nope nope different daughter daughter Julia graduated from uh, uh, Wichita State University and with an audiology degree and she's going on to get her uh, doctoral degree in audiology as well. So we're really excited about that. She's uh, she's gone through some trials and tribulations in, in her thirty-two years and she's come out the other side of them really great. We're really proud of her. So that's fantastic. Yeah.
2: yeah. I have um I have a question here to kind of lead into what you've what you're here and what you're doing now. You said you're a retired RN, but <clears throat> talk to us a little bit about when I Wanted to find someone to talk to about homelessness your name came up everywhere and as I see those people They're very excited to hear the podcast. So um, I Think there are a lot of misconceptions about homelessness. Tell us um, What is it once you're homeless? Are you always homeless? Give us give us Correct some of the misconceptions that people have for us today. Well,
1: I think one of the one of the biggest things that that Misconception wise is that people will sit there and say what well, could never happen to me? And that is the biggest fallacy that that one can get stuck in their heads because it could happen to any one of the Five of us sitting at this table with one bad set of circumstances that would happen an accident um, health problems um, loss of a job Anything like that if if you do not plan well and sadly there are a lot of people in our in our world today that, that don't have that upbringing of, of planning and savings and you lose your job, you can't pay your rent, you get kicked out on the street. <clears throat> a lot of people are able to rebound and recoup by staying with friends and staying with family members, but there are a lot of people that can't do that. So they end up living in their cars, uh, or they living they're living on the streets, um, and things happen. So you know, to, to get out of homelessness for some, it's relatively easy. It's a couple of months of, of couch surfing. And things of that nature. For others, it's a it's a lifetime struggle with mental health issues, uh, poly substance abuse, alcohol abuse, um, it, trauma from life history, um, criminal records. It, it just goes on and on. So, um, homelessness is not just a go get a job and get out of being homeless. It, it's not that easy.
2: And you're talking about adult situations. How does that impact children?
1: Well, statistics that we've been told recently from Rochester Public School Districts that they, they identified in the 22-23 uh, school year, um, over 600 uh, school-aged children that were in transition or transitional students, which is their term for homeless. So 600 students within the Rochester School District in the 2022 and 23 school year Experienced homelessness at some point in time. That number is staggering in itself, but then you have to think of the fact that there's there's mom, mom and dad, or just dad, or siblings that are not school age siblings that fall into this 600 group. That you know that could drive that number up twofold. You know, uh, it's it's hard it's hard to say. Uh, it's hard to get a good figure on that family homelessness. Uh, last time I talked with. Uh, Erin Senwell, the executive director at Family Promise, which is our only family shelter here in town, there were 28 people, 28 families on their waiting list. Um, So, you know, that's, you know, there's a huge need there as well.
2: And as those children are older, um, we're talking all kinds of educational setbacks because of, I mean, they don't have access to the internet and, you know, don't carry cell phones, can't do their homework, can't log in to get assignments.
1: You know, Len, you, you could sit here and there's, there's, with children experiencing homelessness, you get into food insecurity, you get into improper nutrition, which is, are going to impede their learning ability. Uh, their ability to regularly attend school uh, classes is impeded because, you know, they don't know where they're at. Uh, you know, parents, you know, uh, families that are experiencing homelessness don't want to be seen a lot of the times. Because there's that, that fear that somebody's going to notify Child Protective Services. Um, and and generally speaking, they're not going to get involved and do anything as long as the parents aren't putting their kids in, in harm's way. Um, but it, it's just, homelessness is, is just not a single view kind of thing, if you will. It's it's so multi-leveled and multifaceted fasted that it's, it, there's no easy fix to it. Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, we live in this age of information where everything is available at our fingertips immediately. And, you know, you look at social media and you see that maybe sometimes people are posting a little bit more about maybe some of the homeless camps that are popping up in town, Um, and we see that. So obviously, like you said, it's not so simple. It isn't as simple as walking up to somebody and say, go get a job, or offering them a job. What would be some of those, what are some of the short-term solutions to helping these folks out, which probably takes us into what's happening at the landing. Um, and, and even deeper than that, how do we start to address
1: this in the short term? Well, let's let's, let's talk about one thing that's been, been up front and in everybody's face lighting, and that's the, the issue with folks camping um, within plain sight in the city. Um, that is one of our biggest battles because The landing exists to give these individuals a soft place to land. Uh, We're there to offer support, services, love, grace, and an understanding of where they're at in their world. Um, Olmstead County has their echo team, their their, uh, team of social workers that that work specifically with the population that's experiencing homelessness here in Rochester. (coughs) Um, And when we start to chase, not we, but when the city starts to run people off from locations where they're trying to exist it makes our job that much harder to try and help them because we can't Mm -hmm. find them you know if somebody has their name pulled from a housing list and they've been run off from one camp to another it's hard to find them so one of our one of our thoughts is to give them a permanent place to camp or a static location where they're not right on civic center parkway and third avenue they're not right in everybody's view um, but where they, can, where they can exist and in a safe environment, if you will, it's not going to be ultimately the best place in the world. But at least they can start to stabilize. So, um.
2: so talk about the safety, because you hear a lot about in the camps, there's, there's like a rule of the land, even if you're homeless. <coughs> like we probably couldn't survive because we don't know the rules type thing. Talk about the safety. Talk about are are we, as a society? I mean, I you know I hear a lot about people being afraid of homeless people because they don't understand mental illness. Can you touch on that just a little bit, Dan?
1: Well, I think that I think that one of the misconceptions is is that they're all dangerous. I guess. Um, there are, there are a large number of individuals with varying levels of, of mental health issues. Um, our statistics from last month showed that 60% of, well let me, let me just do this, let me give you some numbers real quick. Um, April of this year, 325 unique individuals checked into the day Center over the month of April. That's 325 people um, that are there for services. All but 15 of those people identified as experiencing being uh, homeless or experiencing homelessness. Sixty-six uh, percent were men, the balance were women. Um, we had nobody um, state any other orientation than that uh, at this time, um, but, and I'm not sure where I was going with that, that's what the, the train of thought thing. Well, the safety uh, issues. Oh, the safety issues. Um, <coughs> I would venture to guess that probably closer to 90 percent of our individuals have some varying level of mental health issues, right? Whether it's, it's, it's a drug-induced or alcohol-induced psychosis or something like that, um, they will have outbursts, they will have, they will have periods of manic behavior, but very rarely do we see them being aggressive towards staff, being aggressive towards volunteers, being aggressive towards each other. Yes, we do have altercations there, that, that wouldn't be a, a false statement. But I've never personally seen or had very many of our population cause anybody problems besides seeing an outburst somewhere. One of the problems that our, our friends that are experiencing homelessness run into is that if they are in a public venue and they don't look like the rest of the people walking around downtown they get nasty comments, they get treated poorly. Um, We had a client that was sitting in the skyways, um, this was several years ago when they were camping in the skyways, but um, somebody threw food at him and said some very unkind things. Hmm. Um, That was walking to work and the same person came by the next day and, and did it again and the third day she came by she stopped and apologized, but you have to you have to understand that, that people that are not like you and I sitting here at this table sometimes get treated like they're not like you and I sitting here at this table, like they're right. disposable, like they're not important, they're worthless, they're whatever, um, and that's the way they react back. You know, they don't they don't expect somebody to be nice to them, uh, they don't expect kindness or grace or love, and um, That's where those safety things come in, because if you try and interact with somebody, they're probably going to snap at you.
2: As would you or I. I mean, if somebody threw food at me, I I would hope I would be kind, but I'm not so sure I would be kind, you know. I mean, the truth.
1: But you get conditioned to this response by what you're around all the time. Right, right. If you're sitting out in a park with all of your stuff piled up around you, and somebody walks by and makes some... Unkind comment. That's what you're going to start to expect from people that walk by you and give mm-hmm. you that look, or make that comment under their breath. You know, the, why don't they go get a job, or why don't they quit doing drugs? Right. It's not always the case.
2: I walk downtown in the skyways um, for exercise, and <clears throat> I have never had a problem. I've I've never had an issue. And I, if if they're awake. Often they're resting, but if, I, if they're awake, I'll just smile at them and keep going like I do anyone else. And I've never felt unsafe, I've never had a problem. I do understand they need a place to live. I yeah. mean, they need somewhere to rest and, and to stay.
3: So shifting a little bit, um, we went and visited you at the landing and before we went there, I had no idea what the landing was. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what services the landing provides Psh- people?
1: Nah, I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> Let's talk about something else today. Right? Yeah, because I thought it was really cool all the things that you offer people. Mm. Well, you know, we started out working out of when when Holly and I started this ministry. We started working out of the back of our SUV. We had zero clues to what we were doing. Um, Alex Hurlabas, who's our director of social services, was a, the social worker at the Salvation Army, and he he helped point us in the right direction and get us moving down the right road. And, Um, We've grown from from a little street outreach ministry to um, our own building on 4th Avenue, 426 Third 3rd Avenue Southeast. Um, What clients can expect when they come there, uh, in the mornings when we open up the door, our staff's there to greet them. If you're a new new client, we have some paperwork we have you fill out just so we can get some demographic information. Make sure that you're on the HMIS housing list, which is the HUD-funded, state-approved housing list to help get people housed that are experiencing homelessness. Um, we check and ask questions like you know do you have medical insurance you know do you need medical care things of that nature Um, and it just helps build our our database so that we know what's going on but they can come in Uh, we've got tables and chairs for them to sit at we've got a bistro that's open three different times during the day so they can get food breakfast lunch and then a hot meal is served at dinner time Um, we've got laundry facilities so they can wash their clothes Um, one of the you know the biggest struggles is you know how would you ever Get ahead if you can't have clean clothes. You know, you start wearing your stuff multiple days at a time. You start to have an odor about you, and you know it's just one of those parts of go get a job that people don't think about. But they can come in and take showers. Um, They can have a place just to just to relax, to try and regroup. We have Wi-Fi that's available. We have a legal aid kiosk where they can go and do court appearances um, in a private setting if they need to do that to keep them out of the justice system as much as possible. Um, as I said, we have three meals a day, um, breakfast is generally cold cereal, lunch is a heat and eat kind of thing, um, and dinner, um, we have a commercially licensed kitchen and we have a, a kitchen manager now, uh, that's been doing a really great job, um, which is great because it got me out of the kitchen because I was the chief cook there for a while. Uh, but that night, you know, um, on top of that, we have, uh, two dedicated medical exam rooms that we have uh, volunteer docs and paramedics come in and operate six days a week so we can not only help them with their social services thing, with our, our social workers um, helping get get to appointments and housing and insurance and things like that, but we can make sure that their medical needs are taken care of as well. We can refer them to either Homestead or, or Mayo Clinic. Um, our docs are all Mayo Clinic um, trained doctors and uh, the paramedics are from the Mayo uh, Ambulance service, are part of the community paramedic program, community uh, paramedicine group. Um, so we've got medical care, there six days a week. Um, we often do a lot of, of <coughs> chronic medical condition uh, management mm-hmm. with them. Make sure they have their meds, um, you know, we want to make sure a few they have psych meds that they need to take that they have access to them.
3: So, I was actually amazed I mean you you gave us a tour of the facility and we drive by that you know almost on a daily basis not understanding what you had there but the service you provide was actually quite amazing uh Thank and you. especially your donations uh, the way you've got those organized and, and stuff like that so um should have seen it this
1: morning when we walked down there it was a mess um I love our community our community wants to wants to support us and and they do a great job of it, um, almost to a fault. Um, yeah. You know, we ask, we're, we're very specific on what our needs are. Um, I'm sorry I interrupted No, you. no, you, you go because that's where I was going to go is, yeah. is the donations. Um, we, we had somebody donate multiple dozens of pairs of uh, bikinis. Oh. Um, Not something we have a Not a top need? need. No, not a top need. Uh, We have a tutu, we have a a, um, uh, prom dress hanging up on the wall down there. And people mean well, but Mm -hmm. we need very specific items. Uh, The population that we work with are in basic survival mode, so they need good tennis shoes or walking boots. They need blue jeans, they need new socks or new underwear. T-shirts. Um, we will accept used T-shirts as long as they don't have holes in them or stained really bad. Same thing with blue jeans. Um, men's blue jeans sizes 30 through 34, uh, waist sizes and 32 34 inseams are next to impossible for us to get because guys blow through the blue jeans and right. you know we wear them until they're dead and they get thrown away. Right. Um, we have a, a large quantity of women's clothing. Uh, I think we can always use you know new underwear, new sports bras. Uh, but the men's clothing is is the biggest need item um, we have volunteers uh, and they're there today um, i'll give a shout out to, to lori and sharon and marine because they are they are rocks of our volunteer section in the basement uh, the whole front end of the of the building has got a basement underneath it sadly we can't use it for offices because it's all plumbing and low ceilings and and everything but they've taken this over and as you saw, it's very well organized. Um, they come in and they sort the donations, uh, and there were bags and bags of things <coughs> today, um, and get them organized on shelves. So staff just has to come down, and they know where to go to find whatever it is they need, and they just grab it and take it back up to the clients. So.
2: And don't you have a, like an Amazon wish list or like individual we foods? We
1: do, yep, we do. Um, the way that we, we help make sure that our, our friends are getting some kind of nourishment during the day uh, is that we have a shelf up in the day room that's stocked with things such as macaroni and cheese cups, uh, chef variety ravioli cups, uh, nutri Grain bars, um, things like that. Um, their caloric value is higher than their nutritional value, probably, but at least they have something to eat, something that will give them the energy and keep the, you know, keep the fire stoked, um, so that they can start to try and regroup and rebuild, but. Um, our Amazon wish law list can be accessed through our website. That's thelandingmn.org, um, and it's it's fairly accurate to what we need. There are other things that aren't on there, but it's mainly food items that are on there right now. So I want to chase that just a little bit. Sorry to interrupt.
0: You know, when we were there and we saw what you have, what's been donated, um, it was remarkable how much you've received, mm-hmm. but then how little you do have in that department of things that you really do need. Yeah, we the get the jeans, the shoes.
1: Yeah, we get we get. Well, let's let's talk about why we don't have those things. And and uh, again, appreciate the fact that you're homeless, living on the streets. Um, you walk mile upon mile upon mile every day to get from point A to point B or wherever it is you need to go. So, a used pair of tennis shoes, you're getting used, it's something that's already had a bunch of miles put on them, uh, and they just don't last that long. So, you know, to have somebody come in two weeks after we give them a, a pair of tennis shoes because the others fell apart. Is nothing unusual. Um, blue jeans that are, are well loved is what we prefer to call them rather than used. Um, again, have that same problem. Um, I know that gene jean, my jeans. You know, if I squat down in the wrong way, the you know they'll rip out. Um, and they experience that as well. So we have to make sure that they've got clothes that they you know aren't flash in the neighborhood or. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. And we, we want them to feel like we're not just giving them the, the leftovers, that they're getting something that is is in good shape, that they don't look like they're wearing somebody's hand me down. It's like a
0: media portrayal of homeless sometimes. Sure. What they're wearing is all yeah. year round a winter jacket and a stocking or something, yeah. you know, that
1: and, and we have we have those individuals that will not change their clothes, that will just continue to wear the same thing day in and day out and week in and week out. And that's just driven by their mental health status and we lovingly keep them pink warm and dry
2: is there a time limit for people to stay with no. you at the landing no
1: no well, the only time limits that are there are when we're open that's eight in the morning till eight in the evening okay. uh, and we we just dovetail the rochester community warming center that's run by our friends at catholic charities uh, they open at eight at night and you close at eight in the morning so we made sure that when we opened the new building last november that that our hours you know are were right back-to-back with each other
3: so So talk a little bit about staffing um, and if you have any needs there and also the volunteer population if you have any needs there
1: so right now um, I think we're staffed up pretty good we're running a staff of 22 uh, full and part-time employees which in itself is amazing yeah Um, it's pretty surprised you know I sit I sit here and I, I shake my head and try and come up with a reasonable explanation of why we are where we are. Um, We are a family of faith and we're an organization of faith and we know that God's driving this bus. It's the only way that it could be where it's at, but it pretty much blows my mind that we are in our own building in downtown Rochester, Minnesota, where the real estate prices are astronomically Uh high. And that we are thriving and growing and doing the things that we're doing, and it's and it's because of the community. It's because of those individuals that support us. It's because of our volunteer base. And um, you know, we have our we have our struggles with employees at times, um, with staffing. You know, people go on to do other things, and and this isn't a, a job for the faint of heart because the individuals that want to be involved with us have huge hearts. And when you can't do everything that you want to do. To help somebody um, it tends to wear on you real quick mm-hmm. you know we can't we can't adopt everybody we can't fix everybody's problem but we can't give them that soft place to land it and, and drawing those lines sometimes gets a little fuzzy uh, and we have to you know remember where you know what we're doing and and all uh, but right now our staff is stellar we we've got a wonderful staff we just um Hired, a, as I said, a kitchen manager. Um, she's been doing great. Lisa is wonderful to have. As I said, I don't have to cook anymore. Yeah,
3: because you were cooking macaroni a lot of it the I day was, we were there. Yeah, 40, <laughs> uh, 40 boxes, if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, that's what you said. Yeah.
1: Um, and we have a development director that will be starting at the end of the month we're really excited about. that will be out doing a lot of uh, fundraising for us. So, you know, it's. Uh, and the volunteer staff, uh, how I, many? I think right now. If I'm not mistaken, we're close to 300 um, oh my signed on volunteers that have gone through volunteer training since we opened the new facility in November of last year. Um, it's between two and three hundred. I know that our, our volunteer list prior to that, uh, people that had just signed up that were interested in volunteering, was somewhere like seven hundred. Hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that just go out and check the box, and I get that. You know, um, great intentions, and it just never works out for them to come in and volunteer. But we have a Uh, A 45-minute to an hour volunteer training program. Now that everybody has to go through before they come in and volunteer uh, to work out on the floor in the bistro, anything that has direct uh, client contact, Um, we want them to make sure that they understand what they're getting into, um, what the expectations are for for them when they're there, Um, and you know we. Can't tell people what to do when they're not at the landing, but we can certainly encourage them and, and help them understand what limitations they should place on themselves when, you know, when and if they interact with our population, the folks that we work with that are experiencing homelessness when they're out on the streets. So,
3: so, so
1: when you're looking at the landing right now, what are your plans and dreams for like five years down the road? <sighs> Wherever God puts us. Um, there are you know I'll be really honest with you you know we're what five six months into a brand new building that we've already outgrown Uh, we've seen a 50 percent increase in our population since the first of the year Um, the need is not going down the number of people that that are being housed um, and most of that happens with our friends over at the echo office from the county uh, the housing stability team, um, or a lot of it does. Um, the numbers aren't aren't high enough. We can get if we get ten people housed, we have twenty people show up in town. Um, affordable housing in Rochester, and um, talking to a bunch of real estate people here, there is no such thing as affordable mm-hmm. housing in Rochester. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't expect somebody that is, and let's use you know the number of, of $800 dollars a month that somebody's getting on Social Security disability um, you can't afford a studio apartment in Rochester Minnesota um, the best thing that you can hope for is a is a thirty uh, percent of gross subsidized unit somewhere uh, generally that's outside of Rochester in an outlying town Eota Stewartville something like that um, if you don't have a car you know, so housing is the big struggle. Where where do we house people that have histories? Where can we find a place that will take somebody that has got a has multiple felonies on their record, and there may be low-level felonies, but they're felonies nonetheless. Where do we find housing for somebody that's been trespassed for mul- for multiple places around town just because they're experiencing homelessness and nobody wants them there? Um, where do we find housing for somebody that has a 20-year-old um, sex offense that was possibly minor in nature, but it still it shows up as a sexual offense on their record. You don't. You don't find that in Rochester. There there are very few felon-friendly landlords because there doesn't need to be. You know, if Randy, if you owned, a, a, owned a, a small ranch-style house here in town, um, mm-hmm. you don't need to rent it to somebody who you're questionable about because you know that there's going to be either a resident or uh, several nurses that are going to come in and rent it and pay the price you want. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no incentive for that kind of housing in Rochester, uh, in my opinion. So, um, you know, we always had the vision that we would have, you know, a permanent overnight emergency shelter area, low barrier shelter uh, that we'd run in Rochester. Um, Catholic Charities came in during the pandemic with the county um, and has done a great job um, with what they've done at the community warming center. Um, So, we've sort of backed off the overnight emergency shelter concept, and we're looking at at more of a permanent um, housing plan. Um, We were invited down, and it's just another one of the things that that happened. uh, In August of last year, Holly and I were flown down to Austin, Austin, Texas, and met with Alan Graham and sat through a symposium at at, uh, his organization, Community First Housing, which is a 51-acre master plan development uh, of tiny homes. and, and. uh, revisited travel trailers uh, for chronically homeless people, and it's it's just not a place where you, you stick people in and, and walk away from them. It is a community that is thriving because there are people that are living there that are invested in helping the chronically homeless become whole again, to the best of their ability, and, and the ability of the, the, the homeless folks that are living there. Um, it's it is a it is a community. Uh, Alan said the the leading cause of homelessness in the United States is the catastrophic loss of family and I think he's hundred percent correct I'll throw community in on top of that because you can't really do a lot without community you can't really right. do a lot without family and, and, and friends rallying around you and you know sadly a lot of our population is has burned up those bridges mm-hmm. but to answer your question um, you know some form of um, meaningful long-term housing is is what we're looking at i think it's going to be happening sooner than later in fact we've already identified a piece of property that we're somewhat interested in and in, in having some research done on it so we'll see it's a funding thing uh, that's always an issue so and and
3: i was going to go back to funding because we had talked briefly about uh, just the 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 cash the, the that's needed and uh, community response. And you had mentioned something about uh, uh, if everyone would give a little. Um, talk a little bit about how how do people connect and how do people give and what would be the best.
1: Well, you know, it's it, my my thought early on, and it still is today. Is you know, we're a town of hundred twenty thousand people. Um, right now, our cost of doing business—and this is people are going to say what—sixty uh, thousand dollars a month. Uh, right now, payroll is running close to forty. It's going to jump up over forty thousand with the addition of our development director, but hopefully, she'll be able to subsidize her income. That's the goal, anyway. Um, you know, I mean, we had to buy a piece of property downtown to stay in existence and to, to you know, to have a place of our own. Mm-hmm. Um, You know that was one point eight five million dollars to purchase that piece of property. Um, You know eight hundred thousand dollars worth of renovations to it because it was a pawn shop when we bought it. We were blessed. We had the money in the bank. We have Premier Bank has stood beside us since day one and has supported us and believed in us um, more than I could ever imagine. More than I could ever thank them uh, for what they've done to help us along the way. But it's a, it's a, you know, it's a big financial lug. Um, When I left my job as an ER nurse to do this, I took a paycheck for three months uh, when we started our first contract with the city during the pandemic. And uh, it was the worst three months of a paycheck I ever took. It didn't feel right, it didn't feel good. um, So I don't get paid. Um, Holly doesn't get paid and we do this seven days a week, you know, up to 14 hours a day. And it's because we love the folks we work with, work for, and we take care of. Uh, but our our biggest biggest ask is financial. I've always thought, you know, that you know five thousand people in a population of one hundred twenty thousand would donate ten dollars a month. That'd be fifty thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. and that would make a you know just and going into your account, going on our website, hitting the donate button, doing a recurring donation of ten dollars a month. Um, that's a, That's a trip to Starbucks for gosh mm-hmm.
3: That conversation that you had stuck with us, with Lynn and I, for several days uh, about that because it would be, if you could get that information out and get that going some way, a grassroots you know, movement to get that going.
1: Well, you know, I talk about it all the time. And it's, uh, you know, this is such a transient town. And a lot of people come in and they, you know, I'm going to be here for three years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get mail on my, my resume and I'm going to move on. I'm going to, you know, nurses will do travel nursing. Residents will go on to a different program or to a different hospital, things like that. So they don't, they don't really get involved. But I know that there's a population out there that would. Um, I know in my heart, and and I've got to be really honest that you know we've you know our budget right now is around a million dollars a year. Uh, we brought in 1.4 million last year in, in donations and grants. 70% of that was from people just like you all sitting at this table. So the vast majority of the funding that we get is from from citizens of Rochester and outlying areas. Um, you know, we have, we have um, recurrent monthly donations of anywhere from $5 a month to $6,000 a month. The landingmn.org is where the you land, can find them to do that, right? landingmn.org, yep. You can do it real easy. Just do it with your debit card online. Um, you know, but that's, you know, that's the single biggest need that we have. And that need is gonna grow. Uh, as I said earlier, our population is, is, has doubled uh, since the first of the year. We saw, you know, we averaged ninety-five individuals coming in seeking services a day last month. Uh, it used to be sixty, and you know, ninety-five is a big jump. Mm-hmm. You know, and our our age <coughs> age <coughs> excuse me age range and population has changed too. We used to look, we used to average. You know, our median age was you know the the thirty-five to forty-five group, um, but now we've you know we've we've picked up a whole lot of twenty-somethings and a whole lot of sixty-plus somethings. Uh, we're seeing a, a lot of older. Um, individuals experiencing homelessness um, that Do you are, have
2: an explanation for that, Dan?
1: I think it's economy It's part of the problem. Um, can't afford my rent, can't afford my mortgage, uh, I had health problems, um, you know, there's just a lot of things and, you know, there's not a good solution. Um, we do the best we can. There's some vets out there uh, that, that are still experiencing homelessness. You know, even when the, the federal government says we've solved veteran homelessness, well, you haven't. Uh, you've, you've maybe juggled the numbers around, but.
3: Uh. Sitting here today, I have the same feeling that I did when we were at the landing. It's just, it feels totally overwhelming to someone like me. Most people your age are retiring or getting ready to retire. Not making any assumptions here, but. Uh, what do you see for you? What drives you? What you, where where does where does life go for you?
1: And you know the th- the thing that drives me is is hearing Tyler Merr tell his story, uh, hearing hearing Mariah tell her story. Um, those are two of the ones that pop out in my mind because they're always in my face. Uh, Tyler's the thirty-something-year-old guy that uh, I met under the famous Dave Bridge three and a half four years ago. Uh, Tyler was in the midst of his, his heroin and meth addiction, um, and I walked under that bridge. There were eight or nine people underneath there, and I was new to doing this. I didn't want to get myself into, but boy, I was out there. Um, and Tyler will say, "You know, here comes this well-dressed guy. You know, coming up to talk to me. I'm going, what does he want?" You know, he says it a little bit differently than that, but you know, <laughs> I, I looked at him and I said, "You, I don't know who you are. I don't know your name, but I know one thing: you don't belong here." And he he didn't. Um, and he knew he didn't but he didn't know how to get out of out of that spiral that he was in um, he figured it out he's in recovery two years two and a half years sober um, has a, a fiance a beautiful daughter uh, to Louis, just she's you know the apple of her daddy's eye and papa dan's got a pretty good crush on her as well um but he's he's doing great he's has spoken multiple times uh, done speaking presentations um, at our gala, at other events that we've had, at other churches about his recovery and where he's at. Um, and he's on our staff now. Um, wow. He's a remarkable young man. Um, Mariah came to us after a year of checking us out. Um, I, I tracked back her emails. Uh, she was in a um, very abusive uh, relationship up around Brainerd uh, and finally had enough of, of the physical and mental abuse and broken ribs and broken wrists and broken ankles and collapsed lungs that she fled that and landed at the landing and was with us six months until she was able to start to make some headway with housing. And now she's employed, uh, has her own place. Mm. Um, She recently was gifted a car from an organization here in town. Um, She's doing well, but that's, that's what keeps me going. Uh, the ever-growing need of the people out there that nobody—let me not say that because that doesn't sound right—the the individuals that go unseen, right? Um, very often by the majority of of the population, and it and it happens all over the country. They're looked down upon. They're not cared for. They're not seen. Um, we do have some great organizations here in Rochester that are that are working their tails off to to help the folks that are experiencing homelessness and near homelessness. You know, Salvation Army does a wonderful job. Uh, Family Promise uh, links social services. They work with the youth. Um, the list can go on and on. So there are a lot of organizations that are fighting a really big uphill battle trying to make a difference.
2: Wow. So let me get this right. <clears throat> you actually do you still go out and talk to people? Do you still reach out to homeless people one-on-one like that, Oh yeah. even though your facility is at yep. capacity? Yep.
1: We have, so real quick timeline, started out in the, the white edge that's sitting out in the parking lot with totes of, of stuff, tried to buy a building under the same premise, We well, you know, let's get the recurrent donations, that'll give us the, the whatever dollar a month. You know, that didn't work, the building sold. Um, and then I had the vision of a mobile outreach unit. So we went down to the Chevrolet dealership and they, the salesman down there was great. Dale found us a box truck, exactly what we wanted with the curbside step-in door. We bought that sucker, brought it into town, put shelves in it, put a workstation for social services to work at. Um, we couldn't buy a building so we'd have a mini office and it was all branded you know, with the landing all over the side of it. Um, and that was that was our mobile outreach unit. That We called that MO. Um, launched that and three or four weeks later uh, the world came to a crashing halt with a pandemic, a global pandemic, and we were fortunate enough that we'd built a, r- a good working relationship with RPD and you know I called Jeff Captain Stillwell, Jeff Stillwell, and I said can we stay on the streets because everybody else has been ordered to stay at home. They said yeah, you'd better, so we were down at the Civic Center and, and uh, doing all that, but we continued to do that. We continued to make those outreach trips um, Joel Lacroix who's our vice president on our board takes Mo out um every Saturday or er, Bruce one of our volunteers will take Mo out you know every Saturday Alex has got a rotating schedule um Alex Hurleboss who's our director of social services will take Mo out um I don't do it as much as I used to or as much as I want to just because my time goes in 50 different directions but you know if I see somebody you know flying a sign or camping and if I have time and if I can I'll stop and talk to mm-hmm. them and find out what's going on mm-hmm. you know
0: One thing before we wrap it up, there's a question I have for you that I can't shake quite yet regarding the employability of somebody. If you're talking to somebody who's homeless and you want, and they're able to work, but they're having a hard time finding a job, I can't imagine there's anything more important to have in 2023 than a cell phone, not just a cell phone, not a flip phone. You've got to have a smartphone because it's your only internet connection. That's all you got but you don't have the $200 a month for the payment. That's impossible. You have to have a driver's license. That's the number one thing that anyone asks for anywhere you're working. And then on top of that, you know, maybe you have to have and know your social security number, a birth certificate. All of these things that we take for granted, we're very, we talk about things like privilege, having a driver's license is a privilege. Mm-hmm you have to have one to get a job. I would imagine not everyone has them. How are you able to take care of some of those basics where you are not able to get a job unless you have those things?
1: Well, there are programs that are set up. um, Homeless Community Network here in town through uh, some funding that they put together um, will help subsidize the cost of a driver's license. So an individual can come to us, get Alex's business card, go over to the government center and the licensing bureau. And if they're, if they're able to get the driver's license, if they've had a state ID or driver's license in the last five years, I think it's 50 cents. It's 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 a program that was set up, and quite honestly, that fund runs out pretty quick in the hmm. year. Um, that's one way. If that fund is not there or if there's more struggles, we'll help them get whatever that credentialing is that they need. Sometimes it's easier than others. There's a, a young lady I call Ronnie Young, uh, She'll appreciate that if she ever hears that. It took us four years to get a birth certificate for her from New Jersey. We finally, Alex, finally found that loophole that would let us get that birth certificate. You know, we we thought honestly that if if we were going to ever get one, we'd have to fly her back there. You know, for a birth certificate. Mm-hmm. But this happened. We got it in the mail probably three weeks ago or so, and. Uh, she comes walking and I said happy birthday and she looks at me goes what are you talking about I said come here and took her back to Alex's office and Alex gave her a birth certificate and was like I'm a person again Mm -hmm. but it's it is you can't get a job if you don't have a mailing address you don't have form of ID and that ID is social security card driver's license Uh, a lot of times they want to see a birth certificate Um, for our friends that are that are experiencing homelessness that aren't from the United States um, if they don't have their green card or their paperwork they can't get a job, or they can't get a, a legitimate job. Mm-hmm. But the thing that people have to understand is, is I'm going to run through a scenario and try and do it real quick, Randy, because I know we're running out of time. Well, let's say that you're you're somebody that's had a lot of trauma in your life. you just came out of a bad relationship. You just lost your job, or whatever it is, and you end up on the streets. And your world is in a backpack. And the streets are terrifying. If mm-hmm. if you're in a situation where your your head is not clear, you've experienced trauma or whatever, your anxiety, you have an anxiety level that's built up, they, they can be really scary because you don't know what to do. You wander around for days and you don't sleep. Or you wander around for a day, you don't sleep, well, you finally just hit a point where you can't stay awake. You pass out sitting in the library or sitting on a park bench and you wake up and your backpack's gone. Mm-hmm. Your driver's license is gone, your credit cards are gone, debit card, whatever. Social Security card, insurance card, all that stuff's gone. Your cell phone's gone. Your, your laptop's gone. Whatever that combination of stuff is. Well, how do you, how do you go back in and, and get this stuff replaced if you don't have documentation to prove who you are? It happens all the time. We have clients that come and say, I got my ID. And we'll say, okay, come back to the office. We're going to photocopy. We're going to give you a photocopy, and we're going to lock it up in the safe. Mm-hmm. That way, we don't have to go through this again. That way, when you need it, you know, you're not gonna probably need it after eight o'clock at night. And if you do, you're probably not doing something you need. Mm-hmm. You know, come in and get it if you need it, we'll give it to you and just bring it back so we don't lose it. Um, you saw in the basement, the totes, the, yep. the big plastic tubs down there. Um, every client that wants one will have access to have a tote to store their personal belongings in. We encourage them to put those kind of things in there if they want to, if they don't wanna lock them up in the safe. And they can have access to them, you know, once a day Every day of the week, from 1:30 to 2:30, they can access their time. So, you know, it's it's the old go get a job, or they're lazy. They want to be. You know, the one that that cracks me up is is they just they just want to be homeless because that's the lifestyle <coughs> they choose. You know, there's one person I've met that choose that has chosen in his life to be homeless. One person out of all of the people that I've ever interacted with. The other ones don't believe that they can. Be housed that mm-hmm. there's any way that they can be successful, um, and we're there to we're there to show them that they can be. Wow! Awesome. One final question before we say
0: goodbye. Everything aside, what is it about Rochester? Why? What? What
1: makes you stick around? Um, you know, quite honestly, I haven't been given a choice. It's what you know, and and again, I, I keep throwing it back on God, but it all it's all driven because of. Of the fact that that we are here to take care of one another, you know we're we are tasked with that sole responsibility in life, and 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 even if you don't want to look at it from a from a, a religious perspective, look at look at um, Asian cultures, look at look at, you know the Laotian families here in town, the Vietnamese families here in town, uh, they are family units. There are multiple generations that exist, and and. Love on each other and support one another, and mom and dad and grandma and grandpa are all there. They take care of their families, they take care of their communities. We, as a society, have failed to do that. Um, and you know, Holly and I are no big shakes. We're just a couple of people that, that were called to do something. Uh, we've seen the importance of it. And you know, we'll, we'll continue to do it until we find that little chunk of an island somewhere that just calls our name. I don't know. <laughs> and trust me, there's there are times when, when I will just look at her and she'll look at me and we'll both say island at the same time because having to deal with some of the attitudes and some of the views that we have to deal with, it will it'll drive you crazy. Yeah. You know, and it's it's very sad, but uh, you know these are these are human beings just like you and I. A lot of them have have mental health issues. Um, you know, I've got some very good friends that, that work at Mayo that their kids are on the street somewhere mm-hmm. um, because of mental health issues. Uh, they try and self-medicate with drugs, and, you know, it's sad.
0: Yeah. Well, we thank you for providing hope in a world where there seems to be quite a bit of despair, especially in that, in that culture. So thanks for everything you do. Thank well, you, Dan.
1: It's my pleasure. I appreciate mm-hmm. the platform and the ability to at least come out and tell the story and ramble on for however long we've ever on. Wonderful. TheLandingMN.org. TheLandingMN.org. We're there 8 in the morning till 8 in the afternoon. Address is 426 3rd Avenue Southeast. Uh, Dan at TheLandingMN.org is my direct email. I'd be more than happy to speak with anybody that wants to talk to me. Uh, come down, take a tour, we'll show you what we do. Wonderful.
0: And you can find us at WhitemanBrock.com. And um, thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for being here, Dan. Appreciate my pleasure. Thank you guys for having us.